Welcome to That One Conversation, the podcast where we talk about those one conversations that have formed us into the person we are today. You know, the conversation that you never asked for, but it was given to you anyway. It was one of those conversations that changed you to your core. And in doing so, it's created a ripple effect of positive change from that one conversation. I'm Laurie Rowe, the host of this podcast. And throughout my life, I've had several of those one conversations. And as I reshare them with other people, I've always been a bit surprised at how it changes their life too. And so it's because of that, that I'm on a mission. My mission is to create connection, community, and change through the curation and cultivation of conversation. Join me, my guests, as we share about those life-changing conversations because these conversations might just change your life too. This is an important conversation. Today, I'm sharing a conversation with Lauren Elise Rogers, who I've known for nearly a decade. During that time, I've watched from a distance as her marriage fell apart and as she rebuilt a new life. Lauren and I say we've been acquaintances, the kind of people who always wanted to get to know each other, but seemed to never find time. Our kids went to the same school, we were at the same church for a period of our lives, and we would randomly bump into each other at restaurants. But the real Lauren and the real Laurie, we've never had a real conversation until this one. I'm going to circle back at the end of this episode and share a few insights, because as I've replayed this episode, and edited it, I've been deeply moved. And I've been reminded of the importance one conversation can have on one person's life. And through that one conversation, how it impacts so many others. I hope you enjoy this episode and really take it to heart. I remember very, very vividly the first time I ever met you, Lauren, you and your ex-husband were standing behind my husband and me in church. There was a hymn that we were all singing and I heard you sing. And I kept thinking, that is the most beautiful voice behind me. Then after church, I turned around and I introduced myself and I just said, you have the most beautiful voice. And we met each other. And then you told me, oh, my mom's name was Laurie. And just from that point on, I was like, this is somebody that's a really special woman because of course you have the beautiful voice, (laughs) which, you know, makes everybody a wonderful person. But nonetheless, that was my first impression of you. And I think that's a great impression to give somebody. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here and so glad you're doing this podcast. Well, thank you. And first of all, give us a little overview of who you are. And then I want you to set up that one conversation that you had with a high level overview of what was going on in your life. Who were you at that time when you had this conversation? Why was this conversation exactly what you needed at that moment? So with that set up, I'm tossing the ball over to you to start off this conversation. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for creating a container to have these types of conversations because they are so necessary. We were saying before we started recording that you often say with your husband, you know, what's that conversation where you could look back and say, I'm no longer that person. And this is absolutely that. So I, my name is Lauren and I was born and raised in this small town in Virginia. 
And prior to this conversation that I'm going to speak about, I thought I had most of the answers. I had been raised pretty um, evangelical Christian and a lot of religiosity. I had been raised in basically the same church um, for those who are familiar with different like denominations inside of the Christian faith. I had been raised Presbyterian, which jokingly they call them the frozen chosen. Um, and so I truly was happy with my, as we say, predestination. I knew the path I was going on. And here's the thing, the path was pretty narrow and the narrative for a person of my gender in a town like mine was pretty small. It existed of my purpose on this earth was to grow up, get married, be a submissive wife and a wonderful mother. And I need everyone to understand that I saw nothing wrong in that. I, yes, had had random encounters where I had accidentally stumbled outside of the box and had gotten in big trouble and been put back inside the box. But for all intents and purposes, I, as a part, as a Presbyterian, believed in a lot of Calvinistic principles, which was suffering was a thing that was close to godliness. And so the more suffering I endured, the more holy I was. And so I thought that the suffering that I'm going to go on to share about was holy, was beautiful, was good. I had no idea how much life there was to be experienced on the other side. So again, Raised in the same small town, I met my now ex-husband when I was 18 years old. He was seven years older. I thought, again, please keep in mind that my job was to date someone only to marry them. I was raised on a courtship model. I was not going to be having any type of sexual interaction with anyone until my wedding night. And so I met this older guy. He had his stuff together, I thought. And yeah, there were red flags. Looking back, this man never really touched me at all. But I thought that was just respect and wonderful. Um, and that only sinful boys wanted to touch girls. <laughs> and so um, we went on to get married in 2007. I was 21. Um, and ignorant of most things, but again, thought it was fine. As soon as we got married, my mother died of pancreatic cancer, like two weeks later. And it triggered something in my sweet ex-husband that no one could have really anticipated. He had struggled with anxiety and depression, but this instance triggered a spiral, a absolutely horrific spiral. So within our first few weeks of marriage, we were in the emergency room every single day. Um, he was dying of every disease you could think of, hypochondria to the hilt. Then he was put on anti-anxiety meds that completely, for those who might be familiar, killed the libido. Um, and so for a young human like me who had waited her whole life to have any type of sexual encounters, this was it was really devastating to not only have a new husband who couldn't function because of depression and anxiety, um, but also was on so many meds that there was no sexual response at all. And then um, it created a codependency on alcohol. And so by six months into our marriage, I had a raging alcoholic husband who would not touch me and was stuck in anxiety and depression. I thought that this was marriage. Everybody says that the first year of marriage is so hard. So I was like, well, here we are. And the world in which I was raised, you put on a happy face. Um, I literally have books that say you don't discuss marital problems with anyone else but your husband. So I did not feel I could share it with anyone at all, at all. No one knew. 
except my journals. And so this went on and on and on. There was one point at which the alcoholism was so bad. Um, and our daughter, I went on to have a daughter in 2010. She was pretty small and there was a, a night that was worse than all of the rest. And there was grabbing and physical abuse as well. And I said, I'm done unless you get sober. I am, I knew in some part of my head that physical danger was not safe. I didn't understand any of the rest. He got sober at that point, but what was replaced by the sobriety were these things called parasomnias. Um, and they are basically sleepwalking, except your eyes are awake and you have multiple personalities. So on any given night, it was usually three to four nights a week, my husband would, his eyes would change. They would glass over and he would be one of three people, either like a very angry drunk um, an apathetic teen who was like, uh, uh, or a toddler tiptoeing around the house, chuckling. And it would come out of nowhere. Sorry. He would be sitting in front of you and zoop. And to the point where I would ask if he had just drunk and I was led to truly think I was crazy. Then the next morning he would not remember this. This went on for seven years, seven years of me just having this nightly and horrifying, not wanting to come inside the house if I had been out with a friend. It came with a bunch of other stuff, bedwetting, just disastrous. Like I I can't, <laughs> it's like, if I think anybody could imagine if someone was sleepwalking in their house every single solitary night, you're not sleeping well. You're also trying to parent. You're also trying to put on a happy face at work and the world and all this other stuff. It was horrible. During this whole thing, I also founded a nonprofit that was committed to reducing barriers to care for people in pregnancy and postpartum. And it was growing. And I am, I always say that like it saved my life to have another thing to focus on. And so that was growing and um, we were adding to our board of directors. And along this time I had met this incredible human named Julia and invited her to be on our board of directors. She is a very intuitive soul and also was involved in the birth world. And so we'd have like a board meeting and then I would get a text from her later that would say, how are you doing? And I would say, fine, you know, that meeting was kind of stressful and I'd just talk high level work stuff, not even mentioning. Again, I had never mentioned to anyone what was going on in my world. <laughs> so then I, I would always just play it off. I'm fine. I'm tired. It's been a long work week or something. Then Julia started having dreams about me. I woke up to a text from her early one morning that just said, hey, are you okay? I had a dream about you. Again, th this is disassociation. Now I know. <laughs> I was able to truly disconnect from my hellish night that I had just had to my living reality. And so I'd say, yeah, yeah. So this happens a couple of times. She keeps having these dreams. Then finally she says, I can't stop having dreams about you. I need to go on a walk with you. So she invited me on a walk one cold, dreary October morning. I'd say it was like, I don't know, second week in October in 2017. Yes. So we've been married for 10 years. Again, these parasomnia has been going on for seven. I, the alcoholism went on for the first three. This is just my reality now. And we start to walk and she says, no, like, really, what's going on? I keep having these dreams that you're in danger, that you need help. Like, what is going on? And I think, looking back, that it had been a particularly horrific night the night before. And so I was still reeling. And I said, well, these things happen. 
and really nonchalantly, I kind of just throw out that, you know, my husband struggles, the verbiage I had been taught, you guys, was all this like, it's called spiritual bypassing. So we take the actual action and we push it off onto the evil one or to the devil or spiritual warfare instead of taking accountability for our actions. So all of my verbiage at that time was all spiritual bypassing, right? It wasn't that I was trying to call to account my husband's actions. I was just saying, well, this is, this is how we're being attacked right now. So I went into all of this, how we were being attacked, all this type of stuff. And as I started to share my story, her jaw started to like, you hear the phrase, like hit the floor. And as one piece of truth would fall out and then another one. And then I shared that my husband hadn't touched me sexually in six months, like let alone touched me, but like six months um, that I cried myself to sleep most nights that that this, that, and the other thing, I mean, I just kept letting it out. I got to see in another person's face, this validation from my lived experience that I had never encountered because I hadn't shared it, but because I had never been given a space to share it, had never had a container crafted that was strong enough to hold my story. That was strong enough to say, yes, it's okay. You can share whatever you need to share here. It's not going to just destroy me or scare me or be horrifying. And so she just sat there and listened and then asked another question and then listened and then asked another question. And by the end of this long story, she said, you need help. And I was kind of cocked my head and thought, well, like what, how, who's going to help me? What do you mean? What type of help? And she said, you need to get into counseling like now, like right now. And on our board currently was the owner of a counseling center in town. And so she said, why don't you email this person? Like, I am sure he will get you in. I said at that point, I don't think my husband will let me. He'll say I'm just tattletaling. And she, she got to say, again, hold space for Lauren. It does not matter. Like, this is, this is not right. This is, and started to label things with words I had never used. Words like, this is emotional abuse. This is a separation, right? You are in an abusive relationship, right? Then my jaw started to hit the ground of what? No, no, no. I could feel the fear inside me of not wanting to contact the counselor out of fear of repercussions, right? Which is a pure sign of abuse. My friends, if you are listening to this and you don't think you can get help because the other person in your house will be dangerous to be around, that is a sign that you should get the help. So sure enough, I got into counseling and what I was telling you, Laurie, and what I want any of your listeners to hear is that I think the most magical part about this conversation, this one conversation, was that this human did not try to be everything. Julia did not try to solve all my problems in this one conversation. Julia simply um, started to point me to hope, started to say, the path that you are on is not the only path. There are so many more, and I don't know where you're going to end up, but I know that it is baby steps, one step at a time, and I will be here to hold your hand. And it was not just that one conversation. Julia then went on to walk me through what ended up being the darkest season of my life because I was still in a very religious structure that did not approve of divorce, that did not approve of any type of anything. Women didn't have voices. It was it was horrible. It, it, it ended up being absolutely horrible. Julia was by my side the entire time. 
by my side the entire time and saw me, continued to say, no, I see you. You're not what they're saying you are. You are not a harlot who's gone rogue. You are not these things. You are pursuing what is good and what is right and what is true and what is healthy. You are healing because as I started to heal, all of those brownie points that I had earned by suffering started to get taken away. Because as I released my grip on the quote unquote church, the church corporate, please hear me, much different. They didn't like that. They, they would prefer me codependent. They would prefer me clinging and needy. And as I got healthier, I was, I mean, I was like basically painted with a letter A, like a scarlet letter. So Julia stood by my side the whole time and watched me walk into darkest season, out of the season. She was the one who texted me to let me know that my divorce was final. Yeah, it's just been amazing. And we can talk about where I am now, but that is... That is the gist. That is the conversation. There's a couple of things here that strike me. And then I have a question as a follow-up. But the first thing is Julia and the fact that she persistently pursued you. Uh, There's actually a book called Promptings. And it's this whole idea that we're, you know, sitting on the airplane and we're prompted to say something to the person next to us. And yet we're like, oh, I don't really want to talk to anybody on the airplane. Or, you know, you have a dream about somebody. And you're like, oh, you just brush it off. Maybe that wasn't, you know, that was just a part of my imagination. And yet everything in our being, in our essence, in our emotion, in our spiritual life, everything is there for a reason. And those promptings are there to guide us and to prompt us into whatever it is that is on the other side. And eventually, you know, if you just keep ignoring those promptings, then you may never hear them again. You may tune them out. I admire Julia so much for acting on the promptings, for being willing to just pursue you. And I want to encourage people that are listening today that when you get a prompting, there's a reason you get a prompting. Act on it, right? Sometimes those promptings may not be what the other person needs to hear, but many times they Mm -hmm. are. So, well, and leave it up to that person to decide that, right? Yes. Your job, now I teach and say, is to listen to that prompting and to speak it out and say, you can discredit, you can disclaim the text right. if it is that you're sending, right? I'm having this prompting. No worries if this means nothing to you, but you've been on my heart and I have felt prompted to say, fill in the blank. And right. that might change their life, right? If Absolutely. Julia had not listened, I would not be sitting here today. Yeah. Wow. That's And that's... So powerful to think that the courage and the persistence of one woman listening to the prompting and, you know, those of us that that believe in the Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit would say the the power of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. but it's also a prompting and he gives us those. And so I had a question that I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. You talked about your marriage and about the, you know, thinking that this was normal. And I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, but was your mom and dad's marriage, did it also have dysfunction that made you think that this was normal? My mom had this famous phrase, deserve nothing, enjoy everything. The problem with learning catchphrases like that when you're a child is that your frontal lobe is not fully developed and you can't really put this into context, right? And so I took that phrase, if I deserve nothing, to mean 
that I deserved nothing in marriage. I deserved nothing in any other way, shape, or form. They had not come from this type of upbringing. They were just learning this information in real time and had found themselves in a certain area of religion that spoke to a man as the head of household and the woman is the lesser than. My sweet father, who I do not have a relationship with now with, wasn't meant to be that. Like my mother was a much better leader. They would have done much better if she was doing those types of things. He was a dear heart then. But oh my goodness, I would watch so much dysfunction. So, so much. And so much stifling of who my mother was. And I think then my mother saw in me, her young girl, so much of her own self. I, I told this story the other day to somebody and they're still like, what? We're at McDonald's once when I was little. I wanted a like McChicken sandwich instead of the like burger, the like kids meal burger. My mother said, Lauren, you need to really work on this. Your taste is too expensive. And someday it's going to be your job to submit to your husband. And he's maybe not going to want to pay for your expensive taste. Wow. Yeah. I was a child, Laurie. And wow. so I think now as a grown adult who helps people kind of dissect some of this work, I think that probably those were the messages she was receiving from whatever books they were reading about her needing to submit to her husband's will more. I don't know. I just know that they were doing the best they could and it was not good enough. <laughs> it was really bad. They were very affectionate to one another, but no, I saw no healthy partnership modeled. Mm, wow. I want to make a statement and then I want to make a call to action. I believe churches, and we'll just say big C churches, like all the churches, the Christian faith is really bad at checking in with marriages. Just to reassure everybody, everybody does have challenges in marriage. Yeah. A healthy marriage is going to have challenges because we're constantly growing. There have been times though in our marriage where it's been much harder than other times. I have wondered, like, why doesn't anybody think to say, Laurie, how is your marriage? Never in my entire 17 years of marriage has anyone said to me, how is your marriage? Other than, you know, our marriage counselor, right. who we see on a regular basis because it's good. just good, you know, yes, like, because it's healthy. It's healthy. I want to make a call to action to people, to anyone. I think any human being with a heart should be in the habit of checking in with their friends, their married friends, their not married friends, whatever kinds of friends, and asking them, how are you really? Because in, you know, in your case, that question had to be asked multiple times. It had to be clarified. Mm -hmm. And it finally broke down that dam. Just so grateful for Julia and mm -hmm. that prompting that she listened to. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear now, kind of like that rest of the story almost, like when your marriage ended. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, the conversation wasn't what ended the relationship. So no. Julia didn't say, oh, you need to divorce him. That wasn't no. what happened. It was a journey that you went on mm -hmm. and it, it birthed a new mm -hmm. version of Lauren. So tell mm -hmm. us about how that conversation with Julia was paid forward and how you're taking that now into the world. So one of the lovely things I have come to learn now is that sadly, a lot of the education that many of us raised in churches received took the responsibility for our own well-being and 
pushed it off onto something else, right? Whether it was a father, whether it was a church, whether it was whatever, not just our sexual well-being, just our actual well-being. And so after that conversation and through the next few years, began to <laughs> kind of reclaim responsibility for myself. That is where I started to realize, oh, whoa, if I had had this responsibility for myself way back in the beginning, I never would have married this sweet man. Like this is, this is not okay. We are not compatible in many ways, shapes and forms. Yeah, we got divorced in the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia. That is a hassle. Then I had to start over. I had to start from scratch. And as I was starting from scratch, I realized that I had no understanding of my own sexual self, right? So now I'm a divorced woman. Do I still believe that one should only have penetrative intercourse with a husband? Like I'm not a virgin anymore. So who am I? And then I realized I didn't know my sexual body at all. And then I was working with people from pregnancy to postpartum. I started to hear all of these things about how unfamiliar people, especially in female bodies, were with their own reproductive system, with their own sexuality. I had women starting to say that they had never orgasmed. I had people just sharing things with me. I think because I was like this newly single woman, I don't know. You know, I, I was just more open to it. Um, so I was just gobbling up books, gobbling up books um, that were both uh, from a faith perspective and non-faith, from like a scientific perspective, from a medical perspective, you name it. I just started going down deep, deep, deep dives, as would have it. Folks started coming to me, friends, hey, you've been doing this work. Could you teach me, right? Could you share with me? And at that point, I didn't, I didn't know enough to help anybody but myself. I just knew myself. I knew what was really working for me. I could feel the flourishing start to begin. I could feel that I was at last comfortable in this body. The narrative that I described in the beginning, this like path for Lauren, was now just like wide open, right? That the whole world was mine now. Well, in 2020, my now partner, husband, and I were talking and I was just really sharing that like, I wish that there was some certification to be like a sexuality something. Everybody's asking me these questions, but I don't know. And he kind of looked at me like, well, have you Googled it? <laughs> so I Googled it and found this incredible, I think I typed in literally holistic because I was really starting to notice the connection from like intuition, as you were saying earlier, to mind, body, spirit, and found this incredible program and this incredible school called the Institute for Sexuality, Education, and Enlightenment. And you had to have a few credentials that I didn't have that I like scheduled like a classroom session with one of the advisors and said, hey, I don't have that, but I have this 10 years of expertise in maternal health. Could I still apply to the program? And they were like, come on. So I applied everything because of COVID. Now we're in COVID, had gone online. And so January 2021, I went back to school and to become a certified sexuality educator. And at that point, I thought I would just integrate it into my maternal health work because I was still, my nonprofit had gotten acquired, all these beautiful things that I don't have time to share, like happened in the background during the deconstruction of my life. Miracles, downright miracles. Yeah, so I went back to school, loved it. I would say probably halfway through the year, I felt a prompting, to use your word, this mm -hmm. just quiet thing in my heart that said, this is your next step. And cry again. This is what you're meant to do. There are other people 
with your story. There are other people who have never been asked how their marriage is doing. There are other people who want to know themselves better, not just their sexual self, but their whole self. They want to have a connected, loving experience with a partner. Um, and they don't have anyone. They don't. Like you've got to you've got to give yourself to this. So I told my COO that I'd be stepping away at the end of the year. And so I finished up my program. And then in January of 2022, I launched my company called Sex Ed for You. And I do individual sexuality education um, with goals and objectives for every client that I work with, as well as group education. I also get to go into churches now and talk about how badly we are hurting marriages mm -hmm. and humans, especially women, with our embedded theology. It, it has nothing to do with a scriptural text. It's all just embedded theology. I get to collaborate with incredible people. I get to go to universities and talk with college students about sexual functioning, about when to ask for help, when to seek help. And so that's what I do now. I run my own business and talk about sexuality and healing and flourishing all day long. And now you're also remarried. Oh, yeah. And now I'm also remarried. You're remarried and happily so, I'm assuming. So happy. And it's a very different marriage, <laughs> I can assume. <laughs> slightly different, slightly different. Um, but it definitely, you know, it's not without its challenges in that one of my favorite authors says we can heal so much on our own. We can do a good amount. And then then we heal through partnership too. We heal through relationship. And so there was a whole nother layer. Once I met Trey, my incredible partner and husband in, 20, in 2019, there are a lot of right healing of wounds that had to happen. Um, but it's been beautiful. I've never met Trey, but I know he's a Californian uh -huh. and I married a Californian. And let me tell you, there's something different about there's, Californian men. It's like there's something in the water or something. I don't know. Literally, because they're on uh -huh. the ocean. Uh -huh. But having grown up in the Bible Belt, in the in the Southern culture, when I met my husband, he was so different than any other you know man that I had met. By the way, I was 30 when I got married and I am a big advocate of waiting. Right. Wait, uh, waiting as long as you can to get married. Not because I think that marriage is bad. Not, not at all. It's because the Laurie that my husband married, we would have never been attracted to each other. We would nope. have never been the right people for each other in my twenties or teens. And, you know, you need to do that work on yourself. You have to, and then, and exactly like you said, and then in partnership, it becomes even deeper. So I just want to ask you real quick about the paying it forward. Tell me about Julia. I assume that you're still in a relationship and a friendship. And tell me about how you have expressed gratitude to her for the gifts that she gave you. You know, words fail sometimes when it comes to a conversation like this that literally saved my life. I, I have told her verbally. I'm hoping um, she can hear this conversation at some point too, because I don't think she could ever hear it enough my life forever changed because of it. Um, we will still occasionally take walks and talk and she's just still my biggest cheerleader in the world as I am hers. But I think, and this is an important thing to note, that conversations like this and walking somebody through something as deep as what Julia walked me through are, are difficult for the, the other person too, the human. It was, it was very eye-opening, I think, for Julia to watch 
what was done to me too, because she knew the true heart behind this. And then I think she was the only one who would feel with such verver the accusations as well. Like when those started to get tossed into my face, I think she was the only one who knew how wrong it was. And so I don't think, I don't think there's ever enough I could do for Julia. <laughs> the words fail. I've written cards. I, I've done as much as I can. I, my story is so extensive and I have been writing slowly, slowly a book and there will, there will definitely be a whole chapter <laughs> dedicated to Julia, but I, I hope, yeah, I hope she knows that mm. it's the, in my field, we call it social contagion, that ripple effect that when one person heals themselves and in this instance, Julia was, was the, the impetus for my healing. It just starts to ripple. This is why working on oneself, going to counseling is yes. never selfish. It is never selfish right. because no, the healthier we are, it just starts to ripple, right? Laurie and her husband going to counseling helps their children, right? Which then helps their children's friends, which then helps the children's parents' friends. It, it just... It just ripples. It is alive from the pit of hell that it is like navel gazing or all of these things that people call it self-indulgent. It is not. It is the best work we can ever do. And so now my work is the, is the very essence of social contagion. I just now I get to help others reclaim and reaccess themselves. And it's very similar to what Julia did for me, which is just holding space. I don't ever want my clients to feel that it's going to be me who comes in and fixes everything. It wasn't that it, it was, Oh, you have the answers, Lauren. Listen, go deeper. That's listen. Right. I am so grateful for the journey that you've been on. And I'm so grateful that you've been brave to share it in the social media realm, because all the way over here in Utah, I've been able to really watch this woman emerge with such a passion and a commitment and a willingness to go places that a lot of people are not willing to go. And, you know, that's not just for people that are raised in the purity culture or in the church. It's just a part of human nature. And so thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you to Julia for giving you and all of us that gift when she gave it to you. It was a gift to all of us. I'm excited to see what this next decade is going to bring for you how you're going to just emerge into this woman that I can't imagine, you know, is more beautiful than you are now, but it's just the process of, of becoming of who becoming. we're meant to be. Mm -hmm. right. Thank you so much. Bye. I don't know about you, but this conversation with Lauren had me saying, wow, quite a bit, but also, oh, wow. I can't believe that happened. And oh, what if there are promptings I haven't acted upon? What about you? Do you have promptings? Do you have that voice inside you that prompts you to say something, to reach out to someone, check in on a friend or even an acquaintance? And what about your relationships? If you're married, how's your marriage? Are you hiding anything in your marriage? Are you hiding behind your marriage? Are you real in your marriage? Can you be real in your marriage? I hope after this episode, you'll ask yourself and those around you, how are you really? And would you share this episode? 
Share it with friends, family, even your partner. Someone that you believe might need to hear about Lauren's conversation. And if this episode spoke to you, would you leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts? Check out my show notes. I've linked to all the different ways that you can connect with Lauren. And I know she'd love to hear from you, even if it's just a thanks for sharing that you slide into her DM. Until next time, keep cultivating the conversations in your life.